0: Looking at Isaiah chapter 55 today, you're going to look at the whole chapter, but don't worry, it's only got 13 verses, so it's not not crazy out there, but uh, yes, Isaiah 55. So if you have your Bible, most of our stuff will be through there. I'll reference the other scriptures as we go. You may have them in your bulletin as well. So in your life, I have a question for you, and this is actually a little bit of audience participation, so I do ask, if you say something, please say it nice and loud, and we'll, I'll, re, I'll uh, repeat it if we can't hear it from up here, but have you ever heard of the phrase, a come-to-Jesus moment? Have you ever heard of that phrase? Yes, no, shake your head, I guess not. Never heard the expression, uh, having a come-to-Jesus moment. Okay, well, maybe, maybe you, somebody, anybody say they have heard this expression? What does it mean? What do you think it means? Or what can it mean? Um, I've usually heard it in the instance of like... A um, person that finally accepting Jesus. They've had that moment. Whether it's some big thing that's happened to them. Or they finally have realized... Made that connection that Jesus is their salvation. And they've decided to accept Jesus as their Savior. Okay. Cool. A come to Jesus moment. If you've heard this phrase before and you have an idea... Do you have any other definitions besides literally coming to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, a moment where somebody chooses to do that? That's actually one of the definitions I looked up. That was the top definition, interestingly enough, but believe it or not, there were more. Does anybody have any idea what what another expression of this, what really is an idiom, might be? I know I don't usually ask for audience participation, but I was just thinking maybe we'd try it. Well, since I showed my hand, yes, I'll I'll tell you, I do have a few uh, from uh, thefreedictionary.com. They said that one about accepting Jesus, but the other four are kind of interesting. A moment or epiphany, enlightenment, uh, regarding the truth of a matter. Uh, The example here, I had something of a come to Jesus moment after college when I realized I wanted to be an editor for a living. So there's like this epiphany, it's just like, oh, this is my calling, this is what I, what I want to do. That's, that's the vein of that, that people use this expression of this idiom for. Another one is a, a point in time in which fundamental priorities and or beliefs are challenged, reassessed, or reaffirmed. Their, their example here was, after waking up in the hospital from a drug overdose, I had a frightening come to Jesus moment about what I was doing with my life. So there's this This moment in time and something drastic happens that causes change. Another one very similar um, is any frank moment, any unpleasant conversation held as to bring light and or resolve some issue at hand. Here's the example they gave. The boss call us in for a real come to Jesus moment about the sales for this quarter. You ever been in those uncomfortable situations in your workplace where you're like, oh, The boss is going to lay into us about this. We need to make some changes. This interesting, these definitions of these idioms here, for the idiom, come to Jesus moment, um, there's always this crisis moment that leads to change, a crisis moment that leads to change. The direction a person or group of people is going is not a good direction, and there needs to be a confrontation to deal with it. That confrontation causes change to happen. That person or group, their lives will never be the same after that confrontation. If you've ever heard of an intervention, um, it's where people who love a particular person, but maybe not their destructive behavior, right? They get together and they confront said person about that behavior. If there's no progression towards change, the people will no longer be a party to said bad behavior. Some people might write a child out of their will until they get off drugs and stay clean. That's just one example. But interesting about all of these confrontational situations is that the idiom we've developed over the years starts with the phrase, a real come to Jesus moment. Jesus is part of this idiom, but as they try to understand this phrase. And as we begin chapter 55 of Isaiah today, don't worry again, it's only 13 verses. uh, Let's keep this imagery of a come to Jesus moment alive in our minds. The very nature of the idiom may shift a bit in our minds as we hear this call from God in Isaiah 55. And it begins with an invitation. Let's look at the first two verses here. Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Now, that's actually just the first verse, but we, start, we stop there. We've got a call to the poor. And the poor are being told, come and get whatever you want and need. Come all who are. And I stopped right there when I read that, and I thought, that sounds super familiar. If you, as you've read through the Bible yourself, perhaps, maybe you've come across phrases. And you've heard this phrase, it sounds very familiar, come all who are, dot, dot, dot. What about Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28? The ESV says it like this Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Sounds pretty good. I mean, are you heavy laden? Maybe no. You don't have any physical work going on, but things, they're in your life, they just exhaust you and tire you out. Whenever you are emotionally, physically, spiritually, or mentally tired out, you can be what they say down in Texas. Tired. It's not just tired, it's tired. Jesus brings a promise of rest to you. But there is something that we need to do in order to receive that rest. What is it? It's come to Jesus. To receive the rest, we've got to come to Jesus. Let's look at a few verses from the Gospel of John. Jesus had, a, had called people to him so he can meet their needs as well. John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Your physical needs are a good object lesson for your spiritual needs. Let me say that again. Your physical needs are a good object lesson for your spiritual needs. Common food like bread and water. And that's just the things that you need to sustain life. But Jesus said, he's the bread of life. Coming to him, your spiritual hungers and thirsts can be quenched in him. Moments later after he says that, he says another thing in uh, 637, John 637, all that the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And that's good news. As we come to Jesus, he's not going to reject us, reject us. James, who's the brother of Jesus, has instructions for the people that he's writing to in his, in his book. They were most likely Jewish Christians scattered about due to persecution. But being a Christian doesn't mean that you do the right things all the time. If it did, James wouldn't have to tell them this in James 4, 7 through 10. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. James is writing to correct and clarify the poor choices, the sinful behavior that is going on amongst his audience. Verse 8 rings true with what we hear in Isaiah 55.1. Come near to God and he will come near to you. This call to come to him is a matter of choice and a matter of will. Will we make the right choice? It's a matter of choice and a matter of will. Will we make the right choice? Isaiah 55 1 clearly shows that God's providing for the needs of those who come to him those who can't provide for themselves. But what about those who provide for themselves? They can. Why should they even bother coming to God? Let's look at verse two real quick. Verse two, why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Verse two speaks to that group that seems to be able to meet their own needs, but what they are Buying isn't really the good stuff, you know? Let's pretend that you're invited to a cookout, right? Your host is generous, telling you to eat as much of the food as you want. Okay, now, let's just pretend that. Enjoy that image in your mind, okay? Because I know you're enjoying it, right? Everybody hungry, okay? Now, you can have any of the grilled meats provided. And you know what? You regularly like and enjoy and eat hot dogs on a regular basis, but the host has grilled up choice steaks. Cook them exactly the way that you like them. Do you choose the plain old everyday hot dog or the expertly prepared steak? Both are free. What do you think? <laughs> Both are free. Both may provide hunger relief, but one is really nicer than the two options, isn't it? One in your mind really, really satisfies So God is beckoning them to come to him, telling them that he can satisfy their needs, whether they're poor and realize their poverty, realize that they need uh, his satisfaction or they're rich in material wealth and don't understand. The fact remains, none of them can satisfy their own needs. Now there's a call to listen. In the following verses, a call to listen. It says, give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful loved pro- love promised to David." This line, "Give ear to and come to me," reminds me, again, of a common phrase used much later in time. Jesus said it in Matthew 11:15 when he was explaining that John the Baptist was the Elijah forerunner to him, the Messiah. He said to those listening, "Whoever has ears, let them hear." That sound familiar? Maybe you didn't hear it. It doesn't sound familiar, but Jesus said it, okay? If you can understand it, and this is what he's getting at. If you can understand it, if you are willing and able to get it, then get it. You see, reflecting back to Isaiah 55, 3, the message puts it this way. So this is a different translation. I'll paraphrase one, if you will. It says this, pay attention, come close now. Listen carefully to my life-giving, life-nourishing words. I'm making a lasting covenant commitment with you, the same that I made with David, sure, solid, enduring love. It's a different way to hear it and think about it, isn't it? I think it's safe to say that we've all had a person or two in our life that is so excited with big news, so excited. They just can't hold it in you met a person like that before? I mean, it's wonderful for them to share that good news. And I know, I know that you have met a person like that because I'm a person like that. So we all have met at least one that is exactly like that. All they want to do is they're waiting for you to stop talking about whatever it is that you're talking about. They can share their big news. Okay. I struggle with that. All right. So I know you've met at least one person. Now, when they finally get to shout out whatever it is, I want you to picture this. The person that they're telling wasn't really listening. They didn't hear. Maybe they were looking down at their phone, pretending to be listening, but they were more focused on texting somebody or checking social media. That's why this is a call to pay attention. Those who will listen, will listen. That's why it's not my job to stop every couple of minutes during my sermon to berate people who, think, who I think aren't listening to my points. And by the way, I think you guys are all doing a great job and you generally do, so thanks for that. But you know what? I have personally been to church camps before where the speaker, this is a teen camp, by the way, the speaker would actually stop in the middle of a sermon, do this, and like, like call out some kids in the back. I don't think those teens, after being called out, really actually focused any better than when they were chit-chatting next to yourself. But you know what? I wasn't the evangelist that... that uh, Particular event. So, what worked for him works for him. So, if you're open to hear, if you're open to hear, willing to listen, focusing on what God is telling you, then in Isaiah 3, or sorry, in verse 3, God says, We're going to have a strong, lasting covenant, a promise like mine and David's. He goes on to elaborate in verses 4 and 5 See, I have made him a witness, this is David, made him a witness to the peoples a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. All these great things from this covenant commitment that God is making with his people. So let's review. God invites And it's an invitation that will bring satisfaction to those who accept it. God calls up Israel and us through these scriptures. He calls us all to listen, to really zero in on what he's saying and what he's meaning. If you can get it and you want to get it, you can understand the promise that he has for his listeners. And it's a strong promise, like the one that he had with David. So we're RSVPing to that invite, we're listening to what he's saying, there's this strong promise being made, is there anything else that we need to do? Is there, is there something on our part that we need to do beyond that? The answer still is yes. Verses 6 and 7 tell us that we need to seek the Lord. Verse 6, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God, for he will freely pardon. Seek the Lord? Is he in hiding? Is this, a, is this some silly game of hide and seek? Do you think that God is in hiding we have to look around for him? Is he playing sardines? I don't know. No, I don't think that's what we're talking about here. And what's this, while he may be found business, is there a time or location where God can't be found or is not easy to find? The idea of seeking the Lord is another relational word like the ones that we've already looked at, listening, inviting, promising, those things that you do in relationships. But it's not that hide and seek example where God's intentionally hiding from you. But seeking is more akin in this situation to the word pursuing, Uh, An example of of how this could be lived out, this pursuing, is uh, Proverbs 2, 1 through 5. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Look for wisdom as for hidden treasures like silver. It's pursuing something any and everywhere that you can, something precious. And in Proverbs, it's wisdom. In Isaiah, it's God himself pursuing him and seeking him. It's not that God's hiding but we need to keep our eyes open and our hearts open and our minds open to see what God is doing and where he's acting and what is up with God so that we don't miss something here. Pursue him in everywhere and every way. Let's not skip over verse 7. It says, Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. Pardon one of those words that gets thrown around a lot, isn't it? He's talking about sinners, and that's any of us, that we we need mercy, his free pardon, and pardons are interesting things. Um, When they're granted, they don't go back and, and correct the lawless act that caused a need for the punishment. The dictionary says that it's a release from the legal penalties of offense. Maybe it's like somebody, on a, on a more uh, regular basis, if somebody belches and you say, excuse me, or pardon me, if you're going to be formal about it, um, they say, uh, you're excused or you're pardoned. You know, I'm not going to hold that burp against you. <laughs> but uh, in the legal stance, uh, the legal penalties of the offense, uh, the person is released from those. It's different. You know, That person is still an ex-con but with the pardoning, it satisfies the punishment and lets that person go free, just as if they'd not been convicted. It's different than commu- commuting a sentence, by the way. Uh, in commuting a sentence, the record of the conviction stands. Their time in jail is satisfied, though. They can go free, but they've still got a record, if you will. So there's a difference between pardoning and commuting. And pardoning is what we're talking about here. Let's look at 8 and 9. Because What we see in 8 9 is really where we stand in relationship to God. There's this pecking order, okay? So, verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As if all the language before wasn't clear enough, God expresses to the people, to us today, who is really on top in this situation? When verse eight tells us your ways are not my ways, it's not just a matter of differing opinion. Well, God and I, we just have different different opinions. We can have that agree to disagree kind of thing. No, when it comes to God, he's on top. He's got the right way and it is the only way. Our two choices are this. Are we to walk in his way or walk in our own way? Only one of those choices leads us closer to Jesus and closer in relationship to God. I don't know if you've ever come into a new job and you've had some experience. Maybe you think, yeah, I got hired on my experience. I I should bring this into my new workplace. Um, Maybe you've got ideas and big plans and such Years and years ago, I was just a lowly department operational support specialist. They like to do acronyms for everything. Um, I was working at uh, State Farm Corporate doing operational support. And I would schedule meetings between technical analysts there, take notes, set up the rooms and the conference calls and file some records, things like that. But what I had no business doing was giving my opinion about what ought to be done regarding the project the team members were working on. I had no technical experience, no training in that area. Uh, And I'm not sure that I actually ever tried to help outside the bounds of my role, but mm, one team member let me have it about doing so, so I must have at some point overstepped my bounds. All that to illustrate my ways were not their ways. I was there to help facilitate their projects not add to them or run them. But with God, he's got projects and he's got plans. But if I've got plans of my own, if I've got projects of my own that I've got cooking, then I've got no wiggle room for God's plans. I've got to submit to his ways and his plans and eventually my ways will become his ways, not because I bent the will of God, but because I allowed myself to be humbled and bent for his will. I recognize his plans are the highest. I recognize who he really is, and that is Lord. Did you know God likes to finish things? He likes completion. I believe God is completionist. That's what our next few verses are talking about here. Verses 10 through 11. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, So that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. I love picturesque examples. I love it. Um, For one, it just helps me understand God's word a little bit better when when I get a word picture here. And, I, and I, think, I think about this rain and snow. And we learned about the water cycle repeatedly in school, right? And I, maybe you did too, about how it all has a job to do and it, you know, it, it evaporates and it goes back up into, this, into the atmosphere and stuff like that. But the snow and the, and the rain have a job to do and they ultimately have to do in this situation with food production, plant life, pollination, food for humans and animals alike. It's all connected. God is using this to illustrate what... His word has a singular and highly important task. His word, the word that he speaks, is so important. It's not going to return to him without completing that task. And what is the word that God is, is saying in the context of Isaiah 55? It's his Davidic promise from verses 3 through 5. The strong and everlasting David relationship promise. What does it look like for living his promise, you might ask? Let's look at verses 12 through 13. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap, good timing, their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper and instead of the briars, the myrtle will grow this will be for the Lord's renown for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. We've got two things happening here in these verses, verses 12 and 13. One is that creation itself will praise God. The trees will clap their hands. I know it seems like something out of a Dr. Seuss book, but it says it right here. They're going to clap their hands. did even know trees had hands. I knew they had branches, but not hands. Jesus alluded this kind of thing happening uh, if he told his disciples to stop praising him, right? Luke 19, 39 through 40 says, and some of, the some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these are silent, these very stones would cry out. If people stop praising God, creation will take over in its place. What, is Psalm, what does the Psalms have to say about living things? Living, or the command that living things have to do. Let's look at Psalm 150, verse six in the ESV. It says, let everything that has breath, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. So the first thing that these verses talk about is creation itself will praise God, and that includes you and I. The second is the Davidic promise moves us towards restoration. The purpose behind the promise that he makes, in fact, is Restoration. The Faith Life Study Bible says this, the renewal of creation, undoing the negative effects of sin from the fall, will be established as a permanent monument to God's glory. The prophet's vision of the future renewal and restoration of creation runs through Isaiah 40 through 55. When he was talking about the plants changing from what you expect them, the briars turning into something pretty, that is what we're talking about. This restoration is something before the negative effects of the fall. From sin. Romans 8.21, that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Restoration is the ultimate purpose behind this divinic promise. God's working in our lives through a strong promise and it is to restore the earth to restore the world. So, what has this got to do with me? If you haven't caught on to anything that particular for yourself, maybe I can just kind of boil down what we were talking about here. What has it got to do with us? Well, the exiles who would have had this message spoke to them in Isaiah, um, they were not much different than you or I. I mean, yes, there's several things that they were different our situations, our problems, desires, our possessions, different from that original audience. However, deep down with inside, the message is still the same for you and I today. God invites us to him. The invitation will bring satisfaction to those who accept it. God calls us to listen. Through these scriptures, he calls us to listen. He makes a strong promise to us, makes a strong promise with us, David caliber promise. And seeking and pursuing God in our daily life is a must-have. We've got to keep humble and keep Jesus as Lord, because that's who he is and was. What God says goes, I'm running out of fingers here for how cool God is in, this, in these verses. What God says goes, guess what? He's a completionist. His words, every promise he makes, are not going to return to him void. Every one of them has a divine purpose, And then the last one, seven, living out his promise that nature itself will praise him. So why shouldn't we join in the fun and live out his promise? Because creation's gonna be restored and wouldn't that be nice? We've gotta live out the restoration. Yes, that's seven points. Can we narrow that down just a little bit to our next steps? I think we can. You have them there in your bulletin, but I just wanna share a little bit about them with you before we finish up today. Today, if you you get a come to Jesus invitation, if you have a come to Jesus moment, a crisis situation in your life, if he's calling you to come to him, answer it. Come to him for the satisfaction that you yourself cannot create for yourself. He's the only one. If you're not hearing from God, if you're not getting this invitation from him to come to him, pursue him more. Draw near to him. Maybe you've been social distancing in in some way, shape, or form. Social distancing yourself from God. Instead of doing that, lean in. Draw near to him and pursue him. Just like he was silver or gold or something precious because he is. And the last one here, don't listen. Don't just listen to his promise. Don't just listen to his promise. Live it out. Live out the promise. His commitment of a future, of restoration. Don't just say, oh, well, that's nice, or, well, that's just for me, and it's nice, and I'm getting to go to heaven, and all this stuff. Live out restoration. What does that look like? Work towards restoring relationships, restoring communities. A come-to-Jesus moment. A time for you to address your old way radically change and begin to pursue and listen to Jesus. And finally, my last question for us today is, will you? Will you come to Jesus? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you have brought us here, whether listening online or here in person, Lord, but we are here because you are the only one that can satisfy. We can't provide our own satisfaction in our life, Lord. We can't be filled, that emptiness inside of us can't be filled with stuff and things, only you. And so we draw near to you today, we pursue you, and we ask, would you help us to see how we can live out this life of restoration, restoring relationships and communities, Lord? Bring about a restoration in our own lives personally where death and decay continues to pretend like it's got a grip on us. We pray for restoration in our own lives today. We ask all these things in your precious name, amen.